You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. Welcome into the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You're joined by thousands of photographers listening to the show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode, and I'm joined by my friend Steve Brazel. Steve has been on Photo Taco with me before, but I think this is your first time on Master Photography, Steve. So why don't you give a brief like elevator pitch discussion or whatever about who you are? Uh, okay. Uh, and first of all, hi. Hi. Good to see you uh, <laughs> yes. or hear you or whatever you want to call it. And uh, yes, I have been on Photo Taco Podcast before. I appreciate your inviting me on Master Photography Podcast right now. I am Steve Brazel. I am a live music photographer and podcaster. So mainly what I photograph is live music, meaning concerts, but that includes behind the scenes stuff that happens at a show. You know, not just the onstage stuff, but mostly on stage. And then I do a podcast called Behind the Shot, which is also photography-based. That's at BehindTheShot.tv. I do some stuff with a guy by the name of Adam L. Machias. We do something called the Raw Photography Challenge. And that's actually an interesting one. It's fairly new, and what we do is each week we get a raw photo from a music photographer, put it out on the internet for anybody to edit, and then Sunday nights at five, we get together, we interview the person whose photo it was. I do a small version of my behind the shot podcast with them. They edit their photo live in front of you. And then we go through all the edits that people submitted on Twitter or Instagram. So so that's kind of fun as well. So I do a little bit of everything. Yeah, nice, nice. And you have IT experience. Oh, good point. So <laughs> by trade, I, I people ask me what I do for a living, and my response is always, it depends. It depends what day you hit me. Uh, by trade, I'm an IT person, an, an independent IT consultant. Years and years ago, I started teaching for, I, you may even know this company. They're, I don't even know if they're still around now. A company called ExecuTrain. Oh, sure, yeah. Which was an international training company for mostly Fortune 500 type companies. And when I worked for them, I got my first... Uh, systems engineer, my MCSE back on Windows NT351. Nice. And ended up being an independent IT consultant. And that is still what I do, quote unquote, for a living now. I'm also in radio. I've been in radio for 40 years. Uh, do a lot of voiceover work, a lot of MC work, you know, stuff like that. Yes, those those dulcet tones you have, no wonder you do voiceover. <laughs> it's really Now really batting, good. Jeff Harmon. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I don't have such a gift, but <laughs> but that's okay. People still seem to be listening, so that's good. <laughs> that's what matters. Yeah. Um, okay, so I, I invited Steve on for this episode because we had, and it's it's something that most of you may not have seen because it, it was it took place over in the Photo Taco Facebook groups, and this is the Master Photography Podcast. But I do Photo Taco once a month, and I wanted to to get this out there for the world uh, before then. So I'm going to uh, do it here on Master Photography because that's a weekly show. And what happened was really curious, <laughs> really curious to me. I was kind of dumbfounded and it was bothering me. Um, it's a very technical based thing. And, but I think this is something that all photographers, I, I know people like, Oh, it's another technical show from Jeff, <laughs> but, um, but there's, there's probably benefits. So really, I really think you need to make sure you listen to this. And, and here's the thing I, I have to, I have to interject here. I apologize, but while the the possible issues or causes or fixes may have been technical, really it's not. 
because the the thing I took away from this post that was in that Facebook group was standard workflow procedures that can prevent I mean this is going to happen right but it can prevent it from being a problem and kind of knowing what to do when it does happen cuz hard drives fail it's it doesn't matter make model type SSD magnetic it doesn't matter they are going to fail and it's just a question of making sure you know they have or are about to and uh, and dealing with it but let, let's get into the issue here so so what happened was listener dying I, I just have to tell you I'm dying to hear you try and explain this <laughs> I'm not going to you're going to <laughs> it, I mean like wow <laughs> right and and Steve the goal here is we have tons of listeners who are not IT professionals. They are not uh, big computer. Like computers are a part of the workflow because they have to be these days, and that's where it ends for most of them. So we got to try to do our best to uh, to make this understandable to any photographer who might be listening to the show. Piece of cake. Okay, excellent. Which is why you're on. <laughs> that's perfect. I'm glad glad you're up to the task. Okay, so let, let's get into the details here of what happened. So uh, Jim Roos is a, I, I hope I pronounced his name correctly. That one happens to be a pretty easy one, I think. So, um, But he, he asked a question on uh, in the Facebook group, and it was bothering me. And that's why I got in touch with Steve, because I knew he had a background in, in IT. And in particular, he'd done a lot with storage. So this is a very storage-centric problem, and I wanted his opinion on what was going on, because it was just really gnawing at me. But here, here's what the post said. He said, Jim said, hey, folks, I've got an issue I would like to share. It's happened multiple times, and I can't seem to stop it from happening. After a big project, maybe two or three week trip to, say, Europe, I spend hours and hours processing hundreds of photos. Those that are processed using my best techniques in Photoshop end up really large. I then move all of those large files to an external hard drive, leaving only images processed in Lightroom on my iMac internal drive. Then months later, I decide I want to print one of those Photoshop files, and I go to my external, and many of the Photoshop files are gone. The file names are still there on the drive, but there's nothing in them. They are gone forever. I conclude there is something happening during the copy and paste process where I move the files to external drives that destroys all of my hard work. What is happening? I get so depressed, I can't stand it. Am I doing the transfer from internal to external wrong? Should I be doing it a different way? Thanks. And I'll put a link to the thread, the Photo Taco thread, if you want to go see it. Because there, there were people, uh, listeners tried to help Jim. and But I, as I was looking at this, um, I, I asked some of my own questions because I just, this, this sounds so strange to me. It's as if the photos are decaying on his drive. That's that's how you I think you could best kind of describe his experience with this was that I put them there and then I come back a few months later and some of them, not all, some of them are gone. I can't open them anymore. And um and I was just I was trying we were asking questions. I was trying to troubleshoot other listeners were too trying to help him. And uh, and then I got Steve involved. So Steve, you did a, a lot more. Uh, you engaged here and went and did like an investigation of what was going on. So tell us about kind of what you found. What was this thing? Okay. So first of all, you just said a phrase that's the perfect phrase, and that is that they were decaying over time. Yeah. So I engaged with Jim in the Facebook group post. A lot of people did. And by the way, that to me is actually one of the key takeaways of all of this is we have resources now with other people that may or may not know what the solution or issue is, but can help you in brainstorming it. 
In this particular case, though, <laughs> every time something got posted, I had more questions. Right, right. And specifically questions that needed to be answered. I needed to understand what the file formats were. Were you were you changing file formats? Were you going to a file format on an external drive that was or was not journaled, which is a, a, a technology used in drives to to you know better promise that file copies and files will stay safe and intact. But <clears throat> I asked Jim in the Facebook group a ton of questions, <laughs> right. hoping that he would just kind of answer them in a row. Some of the questions he just didn't know. So I thought, you know what? This is bugging me like it did Jeff. <laughs> I'm just going to message him and say, hey, you know, do you mind if you don't know the answers to these questions, could you send me one of the files? And here's why, and this is why I say your decay comment's interesting. Jim posted a screenshot in the Facebook group. And what the screenshot showed as he was discussing, the icon on the images was now blank, but they still had size. Right. So the TIFF file he had highlighted was still 879.1 megabytes. Right. I'm like, okay, it could just be that the TIFF file is corrupt. There are ways to correct that. I'd also be interested in opening it in a hex editor and kind of see what's in the file. Right. And could you Dropbox it to me? And I, he answered back and said, I tried to Dropbox it, but nothing happened. I said, what happens when you open this thing? When you go to, to Photoshop and try and open it, what error are you getting? And he gave an interesting comment. It says file can't be found. Not could not open file, right. not a valid right. file format, none of that. File can't be found. And I immediately thought to myself, this file technically doesn't exist. So I asked Jim if I could remote control his machine because I do IT and I right, have right, remote right. support stuff. He goes, sure, let's do it. By the way, if Jim hears this, wonderful talking to you. What a wonderfully <laughs> nice man. Yeah, I, you know, I probably should. And maybe I'll before I publish this, I'll reach out to him and make sure he's okay <laughs> with our going over this case pretty publicly like this. But I'm, I'm sure he'll be. Having talked to him, I don't doubt that he okay. will All right, be okay good. with it. But here's what was interesting. As soon as I connected, I asked him to open the folder on his machine that contained that file and show me the same file that was in the screenshot that was 879.1 meg, but couldn't be opened and had no icon. And when we found it, it was now zero. So it's in a matter of what this was maybe two days, two days. Yeah. Something like that, where he provided a screenshot and where and in the screenshot and it's in the show notes, you'll have it there. It's a it's a Sicily trip. You can tell from the naming of the file. It's a TIFF file that was there. And like like Steve just said, it's eight hundred and seventy nine. 0.1 megabytes in the screenshot. Now something's clearly wrong with it because the preview, the thumbnail icon is missing, and there's there's definitely something wrong. But there was Finder. This is all on Mac, so Mac OS, yeah. So Finder thought that there's a file there that was that large, and then two days later, the file name is still there. But now when you look at it in Finder, it's zero bytes. It's like in two days, it decayed to, to nothing. It, it, so it was progressively getting worse, right? It started as a file. He said that they were fine when they originally copied months before. So I'm looking at it going, okay, this just literally makes no sense. And by the way, it's not one file. This is happening to like eight, 10, 12, 13 files in a row. So I thought, I wonder if I can copy them because he couldn't upload them. So I created a folder, temporary folder, 
copied all the files. It said they copied. They showed in the, or no, I'm sorry, strike that. I tried to copy them and it said files can't be found. But the files were there. I thought, okay, this drive has indexing issues. So you have, you have trees in a file table, file allocation table, that keep track on the drive of what files are, where they are, how big they are, how much room is used on the disk. My thought was those are corrupted in a standard Mac OS disk utility first aid. Yep. We'll fix that. So I go and I run disk first aid. And sure enough, it comes back and it says, you know, should have this much space on the drive. It says this much. It's been repaired. It shows this many files on the drive. It should be this many. It's been repaired. And it went on and on to repair these catalog trees. As soon as it was done with everything, we go, look, all those phantom files are gone. No longer showing up in Finder. Completely gone. And it hit me. These files never existed. Yeah. After the copy. So when he copied them, one of two things happened. Either they corrupted, died, and went away because there was a problem with the disk itself. Right, right. So I believe he was having these issues with the disk, either bad sectors or catalog issues on the disk, before he made the copy. Right. And all the information he was ever seeing was inaccurate. Right. Or something happened after the fact, trashed that area of the drive, the drive couldn't correct it, was still displaying incorrect information. And here's a, a key point to this. I don't know if you want to get into backup yet, but one of the things that he says in here is that his workflow was he would copy them to the external, delete the originals on the internal, and then run a backup to, to iDrive, which is an online backup service. Which, which by the way, him, that process you know, is something most a lot of photographers are going to do because these days – on an iMac, on a Mac Mini, on a, a MacBook Pro, the internal hard drives are small enough that most photographers do have this need to like only put them there while they're editing, and then they right. got to get them off of there to another drive for more permanent storage. So what Jim is doing is a very valid need. It's not like that need is wrong or a bad thing, but you got to do the process right. So go go ahead, Steve. What were you? Well, say? no, but but actually, that's a really key point, and that is, it's really because people were talking about backup as he was doing this, right. and it's important to understand what he was doing was not backup. Moving those files from the internal drive to the quote unquote failing external drive right. was archiving working photos. This was not part of his backup strategy. He was offloading from one drive to another. His backup strategy was completely separate. Right. But he said he did the iDrive backup after he deleted the originals. <laughs> I did confirm with him that's not the case. Oh, good. He did do an iDrive backup before he deleted the originals and after. Okay. Okay. Here's where his problem came in. He thought that a backup was one singular copy. And he even made a comment in one of the comments that once I saw that it was corrupted, my assumption was that any subsequent backup was a backup of the corrupted files. And so it's important that, that average photographers and users understand that backups, almost all backup services online have something called versioning. And you need to understand what your backup service does, provides its features and its limitations. Sure. So, and and you went and tried to help him find 
the backup of this one file. And didn't you find something else in iCloud that was a little strange there? Yeah, iDrive is the service that he uses, not not iCloud. Oh, sorry, iDrive. iDrive is a yeah. backup service like yeah, yeah. that. iDrive, iDrive, okay. iDrive has versioning built in. So you can go into the app for iDrive, right-click a folder or a file and choose, you know, past versions. And you it shows you, you know, one version, two version, three versions old or more. And if you choose more, you can go up to 10 versions old. Here's the problem. They literally just say, you know, 10, 10 versions ago. Okay. Something to that effect. All right. Okay, but what date is that from? Right. If I know this thing corrupted 30 days ago, is that 10th version 31 days? Yeah. There was no way for me to know. So iDrive's versioning has a flaw that it's not giving you the information you need to pick the right version. Okay. But they are there. But they're there. Okay. All right. So so that that's all good. So in the end, we're we're sure that well, we don't know root cause. We probably will never know. This it's like impossible to know at this point. Like why did these files end up in this state? But we that's... can we can extrapolate though. It's it's most likely either there were bad sectors on the drive and may still be right. Right. But or and or uh there are simply cataloging issues on the drive. Right. And those have been repaired and the drive will be fine now and they existed already. But he, here's the the really the key takeaway to the cause. One of the things he said in his original post in the second sentence, it's happened multiple times. <laughs> yes. And I think that's a key phrase that we should focus on right now for sure. If it happens to you once that you have a hard drive destroy your data, bail out. Yes. Right? Eject. At that eject. point, don't <laughs> trust the drive until you can solve the problem. Ever. Don't trust it again. Right. Right. So, okay. The solution... It, it was twofold. The solution was, first off, run on this case, it was Mac OS. So you run disk utility. There's similar utilities with Windows built in and, right. and so on. Disk um, yeah, disk check. And you do that, let it repair it. And then maybe you can use that. Like you might have files you really need to get off of there and copy them to another drive or something like that. Um, but you for sure stop adding any more photos to that drive. It, as Until soon, you know it's stable. As soon as you have, well, I, even even at the point like it's exhibited a problem, even though first aid kind of fixed it, and even if you can do copies and things like seem normal again, my images are valuable, so valuable to me. I don't want to trust that drive again. I'm done. I'm done trusting that drive with my right, right. with my images. I just it, it's over. The relationship. Well, and drive is over. storage is cheap. So he, yeah, we started talking after the fact after I connected to his machine about buying a new drive. And there was a six terabyte Western Digital desktop machine for one hundred and nineteen dollars. Sure, and, and six terabytes. And this I was don't a two terabyte drive. I don't think this is like a Western Digital specific problem. I don't think I don't want any photographers to take away from this conversation. Like, oh, look, this was a Western Digital drive. I don't want those anymore. Look at what happened here. This can happen with any drive. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Well, and did you see? Did you see the latest Backblaze stats? Yes. Yeah, I checked those out. Very regularly, as soon as they read. Every year, Backblaze, which is an online backup service, posts their drive stats for their entire storage pool. It's so cool. I wish other services did that so that we had it's more data. It's so handy. More what's data interesting points. is you start to see, first of all, Western Digital are actually some of the most stable drives. Sure. Specifically, their brand HGST, right. which are, are server-type drives. Yes. 
Um, you also see the ones that tend to fail a lot, but it varies. Ba- so you can't clearly say Seagate drives are bad. Right, right. Because you may find out the 12 terabyte Seagate drive is actually the most stable 12 terabyte, or, but their four terabyte drives fail regularly. I mean, you don't know. Or even there was a run of manufacturing on this year of drives that had a, a massive failure rate higher than normal, and you yep. want to avoid those. So yeah, I take that. I wish I wish we had other massive consumers of drives uh, publish similar statistics just so that we had the the data available to us and make make good informed decisions about drives. But make model, don't take away from this discussion that Western digital drives are something you should avoid. And and if anyone else tells you like, hey, don't ever buy a Western digital drive because I had a bad experience, those are a single data point. Every drive from every manufacturer is going to fail. And Guaranteed. <laughs> Guaranteed. And by the way, Western digital are my favorite drives. Okay. It's pretty much all I use. And here's a good point. I use disk first aid. Uh Before I quote unquote hung up with Jim, one of the things I said to him was manufacturer utilities. Every manufacturer puts out a utility to do diagnostics on their own hardware. And it will do more than just check a drive platter. It will check their electronics. It will check all of their smart reporting. So Western Digital does have a Macintosh hard drive utility that does diagnostics I did the normal disclaimer I did to Jim, and that is if you install this piece of you know software on your computer and it screws up your computer, I'm not responsible. However, <laughs> right. you know, back up your data before you run it, all the normal disclaimer stuff. But I would install the manufacturer utility and run a check from their own software to see what it reports on that drive. Right. Yep. Um, okay, so so though that's kind of the solutions, how it's gonna be. Workflow-wise, there's some challenges that Jim had in his workflow here, right, Steve? That you you worked with them, you got involved, in, and kind of understand how it is that he was doing things. Uh, what adjustments, or what is maybe I, let's let's say, what's the recommended workflow for this use case? We have photos that are on the internal drive. We want them there because they're SSD and fast, and and it's easy to copy it from the memory card to the drive and and do it. But at the point where you're kind of done, and I need to make space on that internal drive, and I'm going to put out on an external. Walk through what the workflow should be for that. Okay, so a couple of things. First of all. Jim's workflow wasn't horrible, by the way. Okay, Jim good. was actually doing a lot of stuff right. Good. Photography is not his business. He understood a lot of it. Part of the issues were, you know, normal text, right? When you're not face-to-face seeing somebody, trying to describe it in text for, as you say, somebody who may not be super techie about storage, right? sometimes things in their translation fall through the cracks, like the fact that he actually was running a backup prior to deleting. Right. And they just don't get translated in the text. But a couple of things. First of all, backup strategy matters. So if you don't do a good backup strategy, uh, that is a flaw in your workflow 100%. And having a good backup strategy makes things like this, if they do happen to you, a moot point, right? It's never fun, but if you can recover the file, there's no loss you know, that you need to concern yourself with. So look up a 3-2-1 backup strategy which is basically three copies of your backup data. And and a fun data point is an old friend of mine back in the days where people backed up on CDs, Uh right? You know, for home users, he would burn CDs and he would put little red, yellow, and green stickers on them. 
The green was the first one he recovered from. The yellow meant, uh, I'm in danger. And the red was only used to make another copy to pull one, right? Three copies of your data. But here's the thing. <clears throat> Three copies of your data on two different media. Right. Now, two different media doesn't mean that you have to use a hard drive and a CD. Right. Right. It's just meaning two separate media. Don't do two backups on the same, same hard drive. The same device. Yeah. 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 Right. The same device. Because if that single device fails you, you lose two and one. Yep. So two different media. One of the three backups needs to be off-site. And a better way to think of that one is backups are recovery from problems. Off-site is recovery for disasters. It's right. disaster recovery. If your building burns down, God forbid, and you need to recover your data, well, all your backups burn up. Or I've seen reports of something like a photographer that had a massive raid system, and uh, unfortunately, their house was burgled, and they took the raid system, right. and they had nothing after that. It was gone. Years and years of really important to their business images were gone. And, and speaking to the average users, because one of the comments in the Facebook group was, you're using single drives. Don't ever use single drives. You need to use RAID. RAID will protect you, you know, that type of thing. And with all due respect to the person who posted that, if they listen to this, in a perfect world, would I love to see everybody using a RAID device? Yes. In a practical world, is that going to happen, right? This idea of never use a single drive, they're, they're a disaster waiting to happen. Well, the SSD that's inside the Mac that is getting full, and that's the reason you're offloading files, is a single drive. Yeah, you're right. working off a single drive most of the time, no matter what you do, unless you are actually working off of an external RAID. And here's the other thing. RAIDs fail just as much. And... You know, he had mentioned using RAID 6 or a proprietary Synology RAID, which has, you know, multiple drive recovery. That still doesn't solve the problem of there's a bottleneck in every failure plan, right? So in a single RAID, unless you have dual power supplies, power supply can go. It can short out the entire board that's in the machine. You can have a hard drive controller go. There's a number of ways. Here's my, my best example. I had a server once. And you do IT, you'll appreciate this. And I usually put my server boot systems on a, on a RAID 1, which is a mirror. So the boot drive is mirrored. If the drive fails, it boots to the second one. And then my data is on either a RAID 5 or a RAID 6 or a RAID 10 or something like that. Right. Here's what happened. The actual boot sector of the drive corrupted and mirrored to the second drive. <laughs> So here I am, I have RAID for redundancy for booting a server, a production server, and it didn't matter. It still ended up corrupting. So <clears throat> your better bet is just to understand how things work a little bit. If you need to use single drives for your backup, that's fine, as long as you do a 3-2-1 right, right. and have multiple copies. So here's the thing. You copy your data off, you do your work, you move it onto this archive drive, then do your proper backups. Make sure that they're organized in a way that you understand them. Uh, I am not personally a fan of those types of backup software that write a single backup file in a proprietary format for that right. backup software. Because if your machine crashes, you can't recover your data until you install the backup software. That's just me. <clears throat> yeah. um, but you have to understand a little bit of how systems work for failed drives like this 
just throw it away and replace it. If you want to keep the drive, if you've got a mental block on throwing away a hard drive, okay, turn it into a cash drive. Turn it into a temporary drive. Turn it into, you know, whatever. But for the cost of drives, just replace them. Don't trust it with your images anymore, for sure. Yeah, I, I totally agree. As soon as there is any sign of trouble, you then get rid of them. In fact, my advice, and and it's kind of backed up by some data. We, we've seen it proven quite extensively now. Uh, I put a three-year lifespan regardless of signs or not right. on my drive. So if, if it, I, I when I buy a drive... As I name that drive in my operating system, I put the the month and year that I bought the drive. Ooh, I like that. So that when I'm looking at it, I'm constantly reminded when it was put in service. And if it's been three years, it's out. <laughs> I just Well, and a, a good example is it's the same thing for UPSs. If you're running your computer on a UPS, most UPSs are recommended to have a three-year lifespan on your UPS. Right. You know, you you, you got to know what the limitations are of your gear. There was one other thing that Jim was doing. He was copying and pasting the files. And because it had happened to him and failed before, rather than copy 30 files and paste them over, he'd copy 10 at a time and paste them over. And let me just say, there is no reason for you to do 10 at a time, right? right? right. If you're trying to copy 30 and it fails, there's a problem with the drive, address that problem. There is nothing in copying the larger amounts of data that the operating systems of today will not naturally try to handle and maintain through the advanced file systems that exist today. They will generally protect your data. If they aren't, you've got bigger problems. Changing your copy method is not going to be a solution. Right. Yeah. It, it, as soon as there's any kind of issue, and he, I think he got to that because he'd had a problem where he tried to copy and some of them wouldn't make it there. And then he kind of figured out through some trial and error, like if I limit it to 10, they seem to make it there. <laughs> if that's happening, this is an abnormal behavior and there, there's probably something wrong with the drive. You need to probably address it. Yeah. I, yeah, totally I completely agree. agree. One other thing is, this is the area that businesses tend to do, although not all. And home users don't. The number of people I see that say, oh, I back up to my Synology and I use Backblaze. Okay, when was the last time you deleted a file and tried to recover? Mm -hmm. Right? Sure. Every online backup that I've ever tried, used, or heard about will at times have issues. That's why they actually have pruning capabilities for your database uh, that's online, um, crash plan, backblaze. They all have these things to repair your online database of your files. I've heard nightmares of people suddenly needing it and not being able to get it. Standard rule of thumb would be every six months to a year, test your backup. Okay. Right? Like Go what? actually see if you can get back the files before you need <laughs> To get back the files. And so would you recommend just it, like testing it with a single, go find one of your images and do a restore on that one image, something like that? Or a that. folder. Or a folder. Um, yeah. You know, either one. Uh, but test to make, sh again, that's not going to guarantee you can get everything back. Right. But A, it makes sure that your data is being backed up. Try and get an old one. Try and get a new one. You know, try and get one that should have been backed up last week and one that should have been backed up five years ago. Try and figure out your backup system's versioning, if it has versioning, right? So that you know how to go back in multiple multiple backup versions of the same file. Right, right. Uh, try getting a folder back. You know, whatever you can do. The main thing is it will help you also understand how to do it 
so that when you need it in a panic because your client's waiting for a file, you don't have to try and figure it out then. It could be You're a good practice. It could it? be a good test of customer service too along the way. Like if you don't know how to do it, this thing is confusing. I don't know how to go restore a file. Picking up the phone or contact whatever their support mechanism is, you can see like, hey, is this company going to be a oh, yeah. fit for me? Because I don't really need to or want to understand everything that's going on here. Can they help me and guide me through if I have a catastrophe and then you're going to be in a panic state? So it's much better to do this before you know, they only a have panic chat state. and you can't call them at all. Right, right. Type thing. Uh, yeah, it's it, there's there's a number of reasons that you actually want to go test the entire system uh, just to make sure it's working as intended before the catastrophe happens. Okay. We're going to continue the geeky discussion here about validated copies and cloning mirroring in just a second. But first I need to tell you about a new partner I'm really excited about that made this episode possible in canvasdiscount.com. We know you have tons of choices for your photo printing needs, but if you're looking for good quality at like ridiculously low prices, they need to check out canvasdiscount.com. They offer a guarantee of the lowest price in the U.S. and they are also rated as number one by Trustpilot. Their service has fast turnaround with shipping happening in 24 hours and I recently trusted canvas discount with a large canvas of the most recent portrait of my own family to put on our living room wall and I'm really happy with the results. I'm confident you will be too. We've worked out a deal with Canvas Discount for you listeners of Master Photography for an additional 15% off their already low prices by using coupon code MASTERPHOTO15. That is MASTERPHOTO15 at canvasdiscount.com. The best way you can support this show is by supporting our partners, and I hope you'll give canvasdiscount.com a try. Okay, let's let's go through now. I wanted to step through um, some suggested tools that may assist photographers here in um, potentially getting a little bit more help. So one of the things that I was wanting to do as I saw Jim's, uh, this decaying file scenario just didn't make any sense to me with how I understand the technology to work. Uh, I wanted to do like a validated copy from the source, from his like internal hard drive over to the external hard drive. Um, so let me explain very quickly uh, what a validated copy is. So when you use Finder on Mac or File Explorer on Windows and you do like control C or even right click and copy on a file and then you go to the other, the destination and you do right click paste or control V or command V or drag and drop or drag and drop any of those it, with, if you're doing that with Finder or with File Explorer, it's doing its best effort to copy the files over. Journals help on the file system, as as Steve mentioned already. But it is not doing something called a checksum validation. The way this works is the software can run a checksum algorithm on a file that produces a a very unique number, I'll say. It's it's more than that. But just to simplify things, let's just say it produces a very unique number. And... Um, let me let me inject here. Yeah, <clears throat> most copies in modern operating systems do do checks, which is why generally oh, right, I right. don't worry about validation myself. But they'll normally check. Okay, so the original file was size X. Oh, look at this. the The copied file is exactly size X, and the original file had this file name, and the copied file has. It'll check basic data points. But what what Jeff is describing is making a detailed snapshot of multiple data points, creating what is effectively 
a name for that, right? So I, I don't, if I say Jeff Harmon's house, I don't have to know that that's 555 West 5th Street, you know, in West 5th, you know, wherever. Yeah, right. In the state of whatever. There's multiple data points there. Zip code this. I just call it Jeff Harmon's house. That's really what it's doing when it does a checksum is it's looking very closely at a file, making a snapshot of that as a simple stamp. Yeah, okay. Stamp's a good way to put it. And then it can com- it can do the same with the copied file. Right. And compare the And stamps. compare the two. So it's looking at uh, a ton of information and you get really high assurance that it that file made it to from the source to the destination fully intact. Every bit and byte from that file is there and validated as being written to that drive correctly. And that is not something that's going to happen by default in Finder or File Explorer on Mac. But there is software that does. And we're going to offer some suggestions here on tools that you can look at. Now, I personally have been bitten enough by copies that did not happen fully correctly. I've had, you know, maybe one file out of a copy get corrupted. And I end up not having the image at the end. And... um, this software works easily enough that I've just adopted it as this is how I move my images around from copying off the memory card to the internal drive to copying from the internal drive to an external drive. I am using a utility that does a validated copy and uses this checksum feature just to make sure it doesn't add time. In fact, most of these utilities, when you use them to copy, they have technology in place to make it so those copies, especially on larger files, can happen faster than they do in That's the data. That's interesting to me because my my understanding would be normally the checksumming would would slow things down. It does add an extra step, but the, the, the initial copy tends to go faster, uh, significantly faster on, on Windows over File Explorer. Interesting. Yeah. It, they've, uh, so here's here's some utilities you can go look into. And, and this is going to be like, you know, there's a lot of them. So there's personal preference is going to be one of the things that you need to consider here. Um, the one that I'm using myself and have been using for many years now is a utility called TerraCopy. That's T-E-R-A-C-O-P-Y. And I'll have links to all of these tools in the show notes so that you can go and evaluate for yourself what you want to do. It was originally written for Windows only, and it is super slick for Windows. Um, I it, it has the ability to kind of override your, your default command, copy and paste commands in Windows Explorer so that it goes through this utility instead of using the default functionality. So it's totally transparent. I just do copy and paste, and it's automatically doing it through TerraCopy and doing validation checksums wow. while you're doing it. Super slick on Windows. They do have a version for Mac that is fairly new. I have not done any testing with it to be able to speak to it. And the workflow is not nearly as slick. It's uh, it's more like a you set up a... you. you you uh, pull a target source, your internal drive, you set up a, a destination, and then you say, do validated copy, and it'll copy everything from the one folder to the other. And it, it works good. It seems like it works well, but it's not quite as slick on Mac as it is on Windows. This one is free for with some limits, but it's free. 
uh, for for use and, and most photographers would be fine with it. But it's twenty five dollars to license it for the pro version. Do you have a comment there? Drive, drives only, or can you do individual files? Individual files for sure. Yep, yep. Individual files. Um, totally easy. It's super simple on Windows. I didn't like the way they did it on Mac nearly as much. Okay. Um, and then uh, Steve found a tool that neither one of us have used, but we'll include it just so that as you're looking at stuff, if you're a Mac user and you kind of liked what I described as the Windows use case, where it's kind of taking over for you in Finder, your copy and paste commands, um, it's something called Duplicate for Mac, which says that it does validated copies with the checksum functionality. So it's something to check out. I just, neither one of us can attest to whether, no, how good it is. My only concern on, on uh, duplicate, uh, it looks very interesting. It does say on the compatibility, uh, let's see, 1014 Mojave version you can get. So let's see, compatible with 1010 Yosemite to 1012. Clicking the icon below will get you that version for Mojave. It does not mention Catalina, which makes me wonder if it's just not being updated. Right. It may still work with Catalina. Right. But it also may be 32-bit, and Catalina requires a 64-bit app. Or has so, it been updated yet to request the permissions that you need to in Catalina, like the full disk access permissions that Catalina makes right. makes them go through? And boy, there's a lot of apps struggling with, <laughs> with making that work. Yeah. Uh, I've had lots of them where they... They say they're Catalina compliant and ready for it, but then I go to do it and I have to like force quit the application and go give it permissions and because it doesn't work right. Anyway, a totally different discussion. Another tool to look into is something called Hedge. Um, I definitely want to have you look at an article we found where um, a, a videographer compared a bunch of tools. So Steve, you were telling me about how this, this is a really common need, especially mm -hmm. for videographers who they, they come home from a shoot and they have terabytes and terabytes of data. They need to ingest from their media onto their computers. And you can imagine photographers, how important it is that those files make it there without any corruption, that if you corrupt a video file, you're, it's really a problem and they can't have, they can't afford it. So there's some, some serious tools that are built to make sure that ingestion, the copy from the media they were shooting on into the computer happens flawlessly. So, so tell me about Hedge and, and some of the others that you have here. So there's actually a name for this type of software. It's called offload software. And the need is not just for you know normal prosumers or lower level videographers that get home and need to do it. This is software that is used by big cinematographers at times or videographers where they're even on a job site and in between shoots, they want to get that software as quickly as possible onto another media. Now their, their camera may already have two slots, but they want to guarantee that they have that on a raid device right. or something like that. And so they have offloading software and the particular article that I, that I found the link to looks at four of them shot put pro, which is super, super popular silver stack, this one, which is Hedge, and then one called Yoyota. And it was a, f I mean, the person who wrote this article has way too much time on their hand <laughs> because the stuff that they tested is at an insane, detailed, granular level. And most people I know, like Cinema 5D, which is a website that's really, really popular, uh, they did a review of Hedge. They loved it. 
And I see that all over the place. A lot of people like hedge. It's a very reasonable price, $50 for three months, $130 for long-term. But one of the things this article found was hedge was radically faster in its reported copy time than the other ones until they started looking at at, uh, Activity Monitor and realizing that when it said it was done, it was still doing stuff. So the copy wasn't fully finished and it reported being done. Which is just weird. But ShotPut Pro looks really interesting to me. It's $150. That's a perpetual standard license. And then the way that they do it is you get one year worth of updates for that. And then it's like $49 a year. But if this is your business, you're going to charge this back to your clients. Yeah, sure. So I have not tried these. But when these offload your data from one drive or one memory card or whatever it might be, to another drive, they do all the check summing and everything at that point. Right. Right. Um, TrueCheck is another one, just another Mac utility that you can look into. And Chronosync is a, another one that's been used by it. I've heard it mentioned a ton. I've really heard it more with the next use case we're going to talk about than I am this one. But Well, and let me say, True TrueCheck is the same people who make ShotPut Pro. Okay. And TrueCheck is purely... A validation software. That's exactly what TrueCheck does. TrueCheck, basically, the description is it's a dynamic multi-tool that's perfect for analyzing, comparing, and managing files. It helps organize and preserve the integrity of the most valuable part of your business, specializing in verification activities before copying. Ah, okay. That's literally just a dedicated tool for what we're talking about. Okay, okay, perfect. So there's a bunch of, of things that you can go and check out up to you about whether or not you want to change your habits and behaviors like using Finder or File Explorer and do the copy and paste and get this validated copy to happen. I've chosen to make sure or get as much assurance as I possibly can that my images are making it as I go around, which incidentally is why I also do not use Lightroom for this. And this is going to be super unpopular among a lot of photographers, but I do not move my files around using Lightroom. And, and I thought I was the only one. It's I not only you. for because of this, but Lightroom has had bugs in the past where even when the copy might have worked just fine via Finder or File Explorer, it it Lightroom loses images. They've had a history of losing images, especially when there's like hundreds to thousands of files that you're moving using Lightroom. It's just had a history. And even if it's been perfect for a year, it only takes one time of missing a file um, and not copying photos over to ha- to to really be impacted. So I I just simply do not trust Lightroom to copy my folder my files around. And I yes, don't, I don't even do do it in Photo Mechanic. I manually copy. I do too. I and I use these tools. I, I'm doing validated copies. My images mean that much to me. So I am doing extra effort to make sure I had the very best possible chance that everything is going to get copied. Right. It still doesn't guarantee everything will go flawlessly, but I have the best possible chance that I'm going to be, it's it's going to be a good outcome. And so far, <laughs> in, I don't know, five or six years of doing this now, uh, I haven't lost any. So that's, that's good so far. Um, the other use case I wanted to mention, um, there's two more. There's cloning and mirroring, which is a similar concept to the validated copy. Uh, but it's slightly different in that this is kind of that you have a primary drive that you're going to work from and part of your 3-2-1 backup solution. You need those two medias. So we have two separate devices. You really want to then just clone or have mirrored everything you do on the primary device 
over to that secondary device. And, and my advice is just pretend like that secondary drive doesn't even exist. Like it's not, it's not another place for you to put folders or use in any other capacity. It's just there to mirror your, your information. And uh, you, but you also may not want every single action you take on that primary drive to, to be replicated over to the secondary drive. There may be a delete, for example, you may have accidentally deleted some images and you may discover it like days later. And it would be awful if it's also deleted from that secondary drive. Um, and software can, it can do this, this kind of one way sync sort of thing. What, what do you think, Steve? And, uh, you just said it. You said what I was going to say, and that is cloning is different from syncing and syncing has multiple versions and syncing is generally not part of a backup strategy because of the fact that you need that backup to be completely independent of any file removal or additions that you do to your primary drive that should not be backed up to that particular backup storage. So a lot of people will do cloning purely for duplicating their boot drive. So if the machine goes down, they have an external portable drive they can boot from. But if you're going to clone or sync to an external drive as part of a backup, make sure that it is a one-way sync. Right. And the other problem with syncing or cloning is you don't get versioning. Backup software knows how to manage versioning. But a clone... If I have file A and it gets cloned one-way sync to an external drive, and then I go in and I change that file A, it clones it again, overriding the one on the other drive. So 10 in, if I suddenly go, you know what? I don't like any of the last nine changes that I did. I want to go back to how it was back on the 15th, right? 14 days ago. Right. I can't because... I can only go back to the last backup copy that's on that drive. Right. So that's the downside of cloning or syncing in a backup strategy. So um, I wouldn't use, other than ChronoSync, and like I, I mentioned earlier, ChronoSync is one that to me fits better in this cloning, mirroring, backup syncing sort of category. Agreed. Um, and by the way, ChronoSync would have been good for Jim. Sure. Because based on his description, it's a repetitive process that he's doing to take files from a particular directory and copy them. It's not a backup. He's simply moving working files from one drive to an external drive. They're still working files. He goes back to to print, right? So ChronoSync is basically a GUI for an old, old, old utility that's been around in Windows and Linux and Unix and, and Mac for years and years called rsync. A very proven utility. <laughs> so powerful, you will never use it all. Right. It's impossible. Right. So it is a very intense command line sync tool. And ChronoSync is a GUI for that where you can do validated copies. It doesn't have to be. Most people think of it as cloning like the, another one you're going to mention, Carbon Copy Cloner yep. or Super Duper, which is what I use. Just cloning drive to drive. You can take individual folders and say, I want to move this folder over. So in Jim's case, he could have used ChronoSync or rsync to, on a regular scheduled or not basis, copy this folder to this folder. And you know what? I've already got 100. I've got 200 in the source folder. I've already done 100 of them into the destination. I want you to be smart about it and look at it and go, you know what? 100 of them are already there. Let's only grab the 100 new ones. And it will do that. Right, right. 
Okay, and the utility I'm going to recommend for Windows users, because this is Windows only, but I'm loving it. Not only the the price, but the functionality. It's got everything I wanted in a tool that does this. And I, I do this as part of my 321 backup. I am replicating everything from the one the primary drive to a secondary drive. And that's a utility called BV. CKUP. I don't I I think I'd still pronounce it backup two, but it's B V instead of B A. So it's almost like an upside down it A. It is like an upside down A, yeah. I, I don't know why they have that, but there's probably history there. But uh yeah, backup to it. There's a link in the show notes if you're a Windows user and, and you want a tool that will do a really good job uh, for a very reasonable price of thirty dollars to to buy it. So it's totally worth it. Uh or carbon copy cloners, we recommend there'll be a link in the show notes there. That one has a 30-day trial and um and it's 40 bucks to license and chronosync has mac only on that one mac only chronosync also mac only free trial for 15 days and 50 bucks to buy it do you know super duper real off the top of your head steve what it costs uh the price yeah that's a really good question but i can find it in about two seconds here i'll let him go do that the point is um i i really think it's worth checking this out and like we talked about before of testing it uh, testing this out is a good idea too, and making sure that you see the images that are there. You know how to pull one back if you needed to. Um, maybe as you're checking these out, since you have lots of options and there's lots of prices, you do free trials on some of these tools and see which one do you prefer. Like which one makes the most sense to you, or if it do- if none of them make sense, then contacting their support and saying I don't know how to use this thing, and seeing how they respond as far from a support perspective would be a, a good thing to do. All right, so it looks like it's about thirty bucks. Yep, twenty eight bucks, twenty seven ninety five. Okay, there you go. Uh, the last part of this that is a massively important part of that three two one backup to the offsite piece. Uh, as photographers, this has become something that is mostly attainable. I think there are still challenges with long term photographers that may have tons of images to sync out to the cloud. It becomes tough. But videographers, I feel for them. <laughs> they almost don't have a chance with this. But um, uh, the one I'm going to recommend is Backblaze. I've been recommending it for a very long time now. In fact, I did a podcast episode with Jim Goldstein from Backblaze where we talked about their service, how it is that they are surviving. Because that's one of the concerns. There, I have seen so many services come and go by the wayside and fold up shop and leave. I, I have had it myself. I've subscribed to a service only to have it disappear uh, a, a few years later. Like I just get stuff synced up to it and they're gone. They're out of business. So ha- that was more the focus of that was like, how are you guys going to plan? What's your plan to be able to stay in business? He right. did a really good job of handling that. And I recommend backplates. Now, I, I have had li- some listeners, because I've re- recommended this for a long time now, I've had some listeners say they've had trouble getting backplates going, they've had trouble restoring, they, they're they really struggling with it. And, and when they contacted support, they had a bad experience. And I'm sorry if that's the case for you, but I just don't think there's a better service out there for most photographers today. And it's just, you're going to have to like work with them, see if you can figure out what to do. I haven't had to contact support, so I don't know, I can't really attest to that piece of it, but the service itself has been been rock solid for me. I have had to pull some data from it. Um, like I, I said, I, I haven't really lost any files, but it's because my 321 backup has worked and I've been able to recover files um, through that service. So it's, so it's I'm a Backblaze user. I have been for years and years. I've got 12 terabytes up there. Yep. I have dealt with their support and it's been probably 50-50. So yeah. there's times I've dealt with them. It's been amazing. There's times I've dealt with them and it's been a runaround. It kind of depends. The issue that I particularly had was Backblaze stopped backing up. 
Uh, when I contacted them, they said, okay, there are some problems. We're going to run a repair on your, your uh, cloud database. They couldn't repair it. The only fix, the one time I'm thinking of, which shocked me, was we have to reset your account and you have to back everything up again. Okay. And it took four months yeah. for, for all of my data to get back in the cloud. Did they not? Because I lost all years and years worth of backup, and trying to get 12 terabytes online is tough, right? Yeah. So that didn't make me happy, but it's still what I use. Again, though, you got to understand limitations and benefits, right? Absolutely. Backblaze, super easy. It's also, in my opinion, one of the fastest backups for online backups. It has unlimited space still, it will back up external drives. Yep. Yep. There are services that don't, like, uh, uh, Carbonite used to have a limitation of internal drives only. Right. That's been lifted now, but they don't have unlimited backup. iDrive does not have unlimited backup on some plans, at least. Crash Plan Pro used to have a consumer level and a pro level. They yeah. did away with the consumer level. Yep. They have the pro level still, but it's very, very expensive. But Crash Plan, Plan Pro has amazing granularity on scheduling. So you can, you know, I've used it on some client machines before where I can say, you know what? I want you running from 12 to noon when I know he's at lunch, stop. Then I want you running at six o'clock at night until six o'clock in the morning, stop. Backblaze only gives me the option of continuous once a day and I put a start time or only when I click now. So the granularity of, of scheduling and choosing not there. Backblaze doesn't have an ability to do a local copy and an online copy, right. whereas CrashPlan or iDrive do. You just need to find the one that fits you. Right. right. And I will put a link in the show notes to Backblaze where if you use that link, you'll get a free month and I'll get a free month. So if Oh, yeah, nice. Yeah, if you're considering. Um, okay, so those are the, the utilities that I wanted to make sure listeners were aware of. Stuff that you can go try as you're going to build out your workflow. And you really need to think through this. You need to think through your workflow. You need to think through the tools that you're going to use to help you with this so that you get the, like I talked about, the best possible chance to not have an issue. It does not guarantee you will not have an issue. In fact, I can almost guarantee you will have an issue at some point. A drive's going to have a problem. Like Jim has probably experienced here. We think it's probably the drive had a problem. And then the quickest thing to do is rely on your backups and get rid of that drive. Take it out of service. Don't trust it with your images anymore. The new drives are so cheap. And, and I usually when somebody has a drive problem, inevitably the first thing they say is, I don't understand it's not that old, no matter <laughs> right. who it is. And sometimes you go look and it's like, it's been three years. Really? It doesn't feel like it's been three years. Here's my analogy to it hasn't been that old. I bought a Toyota Tundra back in 2004. Two weeks after I bought it, two o'clock in the morning, I hear my alarm going off. I run outside into my driveway. This is a brand new Toyota truck. The windows are rolling themselves up and down. And my door locks are going click, 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 click. <laughs> wow. The computer that runs the window door and windows and door locks failed. It was a two-week-old brand new truck. These things are made by man. And I don't care what the meantime between failure is. They're made by man and things happen. It's just part of tech, right? It it's is. It's nobody's fault. It just happens. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if you're prepared. Right. However, whatever prepared looks like to you, 
It doesn't matter if you are prepared. I just... I hear so many sad stories of photographers saying, I know you've been telling me forever I need to do backup and I need to really think about this. <laughs> I just haven't had time for it. And then it fails and they've lost everything. Like, I sure wish I'd have listened and I'd spent the time to really figure this out. And for some of you listening, that may mean you're going to spend a week looking into this and, and figuring out tools and how do these things work? What does this stuff mean? How does it go? You might have to go to a forum and ask some questions to get some help to understand it. Whatever that is, you really need to do it. Take the time and make that happen. And don't just do an, I know a lot of other photographers who are like, oh yeah, I'm protected. I use Backblaze. Yeah, that's not- Okay, is that it? <laughs> Be, oh yeah, I've got six terabytes up there. Is that it? Because if you get a new computer, if your computer dies a horrible, fiery death, and you have to buy a new computer, how long on your internet speed is it going to take you to download those six terabytes of data? True. Right? So you want a local copy of your backup because that's recovery and speed of recovery. Or if you haven't been validating your backups, how do you know you got everything up there? How do you, and you know just want it now, happened? right? Yeah. And then you have the offline. The offline is, is you're rarely going to touch it. It's disaster. That's it. Okay. So the takeaways, you got to think about this. And if you ever experience a decaying file, <laughs> that's not normal. Don't let that persist. Replace the drive. See what it is that's going on. And, and Your phrase should never have been, should never be, it's happened multiple times. <laughs> that's true. Should, you that's never want to say it's happened multiple times. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. Let's uh, close up the show here. Let's mention our doodads of the week. So Steve, what do you have for your doodad of the week? Okay. So- this to me, this is not a physical doodad, although in some ways to me, it kind of is. If you don't know who Alex Lindsay is, Alex Lindsay is very well known for having worked on Star Wars Episode One when he worked at, at Lucas. Uh, he is now a, a live streaming expert. Oh, I mean, yeah. He streams live productions at a level like you would this see on television. This is the big, big right? boy streaming. This yeah, is we're not... talking big boy streams, <laughs> yeah. like huge worldwide streams. Yes. Hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of stream in a single gig. And Alex kind of knows everybody. He is a regular on a podcast I listen to and love, Mac Break Weekly. Oh, yeah, me too. <clears throat> Super nice guy. And we did a thing with, you know, I think you know Aunt Pruitt. We did a thing with Aunt Pruitt where we just for fun jumped online one time, streamed Zoom live, uh, with Matteo uh, from, I think he's in Ireland. And we just did some whiskey tasting, all of us together okay. online. All right. Alex, super nice guy. Well, Alex has created something called Office Hours with Alex, Lindsay, and Friends. It happens seven days a week. Wow. And here's how it works. All these times are Pacific time, so that you know. Six o'clock in the morning, they open the Zoom conference. The Zoom conference, you have to register. You have to actually have a Zoom account, but it can be a free account. Okay. And you have to be logged into your free account to join the conference, right? 6 a.m., anybody can join. And from 6 to 7, nothing important happens. People come in. If you join in at 6, you're usually going to be on the panel, which means your video will be shown. And they talk. At 6.40, they do a mic check for everybody. And then at 7 o'clock, they officially start streaming to YouTube, to Alex Lindsay on YouTube. Okay. <clears throat> and the 7 to 8 o'clock is just a Q&A. And Alex has anywhere from 25 to 49 experts in the field. I'm talking people that have their own IMDb entries. Okay. 
And you can ask anything. It can be an OBS question. It can be a question on I'm mixing an album and my my musicians are in four different places in the world. How do I mix them in real time? <laughs> you know, I mean, it can be literally anything that you want. And then from eight o'clock to nine o'clock, they do a special one subject hour, usually with a guest. Like I did one the day we're recording this two weeks before we recorded this on concert photography. Yeah. And so, I mean, it varies, right? Two days before, the day before me was media production in the White House with somebody who did media production for the Obama administration. And then three days before me was using Unity Connect to mix up to 64 channels of live music in real time across the internet. I mean, it's, it's, the gamut is huge, right? I was on on that Friday and that second hour, they call it, eight to nine, is not streamed. You must be there to see it. They are recording them, but they are not publicly available yet. They're trying to figure that out. I cannot recommend this enough. It's totally free. And here's the, the kicker. If you're there at 630 in the morning, they give out a link to their Discord server. And that link expires at seven. Okay. And their Discord server is amazing. There's got to be 40 different channels in this Discord server. And anybody who's anybody that knows everything is in there talking about audio, live production, live streaming, video, photography, um, <clears throat> you know, ATEMs, OBS, anything, mastering music, whatever. It's absolutely cool. It's totally free. I can't recommend it enough. Alex, uh, Office Hours with Alex Lindsay. And again, you have to register, but it's pretty cool. And there's a link in the show notes. So you can go find how to do that if you're interested in that. I wish I had time, Steve. My, I, I have my day job then. I can't do it. Well, again, though, the first hour, <laughs> seven to eight, you can find those at Alex Lindsay on YouTube. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to give you an idea out. how it works. I love it when he's on on uh, Twitter or, or any of the, Me too. the podcasts. He's, he's, he does great. Uh, okay, mine is um, a chair, <laughs> which might not seem like a big deal for photography, but um, I think there, I'm guessing a bunch of you listening will be like, yeah, my chair actually is terrible. I hate sitting in that thing for more than like an hour, two hours. I mean, even if you're getting up, like imagine going back to that chair is just a, a terrible idea. It's probably because you haven't invested in a good chair. Um, I have tried many chairs over the years. I've I work on computers all day. So I, I'm sitting all day and uh, I get up as much as I can, but it's it's a good eight to 10 hours a day I'm sitting in that chair. And the one I had before, it was the most I'd spent on chair. I don't remember even what it was now. I, it's It was like maybe at Office Max or something like that. And uh, it was supposed to be a really good task chair is what they call it, which is a, a good thing I think to look for for a chair for photographers who are doing editing versus a gaming chair. I think they're a little different. The gamers like to sit with a controller in their hand to kind of lean back and they, they want a chair that's going to hold their head and, and do a good job of supporting them while they lean back. But that is not what I'm after. I'm not leaning back in the chair. Uh, I wanted to support me sitting up good and, and doing tasks. So a task chair is what I, I'd recommend you look for. The one, there's all kinds of them. The, the really expensive Herman Miller brand are very well regarded, but there was no way I'm spending that much money on a chair. So what I landed on after doing my own research and, and asking some people about it was uh, a chair called the Duramont Ergonomic Adjustable Office Chair with Lumbar Support. It's about 330 bucks. There'll be a link in the show notes to it. 
I'm loving it. It is a massive upgrade from what I've been in. I had to replace the chair because I broke a spring and it was like tilted as I sat in it. So I had to replace my chair and, and I really, really like this one. It's got a good place for your to support your head. Uh, it, it's really making a difference for me and helping me with my posture as I'm sitting in it and editing and, and everything. So photographers tend to and spend a lot of time in that chair. It's good to have a nice one that's going to support you well and, and not help you not have pain, not hurt. The reviews on this are amazing. 1139 ratings on Amazon and it's four and a half stars. I can't get five people to agree on where to eat dinner. Yeah. And, and they compare, everyone seems to compare it very well to the Herman Miller brands just for tremendously less. Kind of looks like it too. It does. Yep. Yep. So that's why I decided to go with it was they convinced me it was worth a try and I've had it for about two weeks and I'm, I'm really liking it so far. So there you go. There's the dude out of the week for me. All right. I want to remind everyone show notes are over at masterphotographypodcast.com. You can find all the glorious links that we talked about in this episode over there. You can join our Facebook group. That's Master Photography Podcast. You do have to ask to join it. We're trying to do the best we can to keep the spammers and the bots out of there. And uh, so we, you have to answer a question. You have to name a host on the show. So Jeff will work. And now Steve will work. You can do either one of those and we'll let you in because we'll know you're a listener. And I, I am still rejecting more than half of the requests to the group because they don't answer that question. And then I know they're not a listener. Uh, my work is over at jsharmanphotos.com. You can also find my other podcast that we've mentioned several times, Photo Taco Podcast. In the uh, the most recent June episode, I got with uh, Puget Systems, Matt Bach, and I talked with him about their testing, and they've done a ton of it, of AMD versus Intel for running Lightroom and Photoshop. So you can go check that out if you're interested in that information. Um, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. You can go find all of that information in the show notes. Steve, where can people find you? So my portfolio is at stevebrazel.com. It's like the country Brazil, but two L's. So Brazil, not Brazil, uh, although I answered it pretty much, <laughs> you know, uh, on social media. Oh, by the way, podcast uh, behind the shot is at behind the shot TV. And then I am on Twitter and Instagram mostly. And it's at Steve Brazel or at behind the shot. I'm sorry. Yeah. Behind the shot TV. So behind the shot TV is the podcast accounts. And then Steve Brazel is my own. I'm on both regularly. I'm really active on Twitter. It's one of my favorite platforms because Twitter gives you the ability to text people that you would never have their phone number for. Right. I'm a, right. you know, it's the way I met Rick Salmon was I was tweeting at him. We've since become very good friends over the years. So I'm on Twitter a lot and then Instagram. Excellent. Yes, I've enjoyed our interactions on Twitter as well. So it's it's good stuff. I like it. All right. Thanks so much for uh, joining me, Steve. I appreciate the the help here in this. Honor was mine. I when when you asked, I literally kind of in my mind went yes, <laughs> which is a sickness you and I both have. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that's right. All right. Thanks everyone so much for listening. We really appreciate all you listeners, and uh, I hope you can stay safe out there. But get out and shoot as uh, as allowed. And uh, we'll see you again in another seven days. 